Good morning, good afternoon, or good night. Whatever time it is that you are tuning in, we just appreciate the fact that you are here. Welcome back to week four of Unconventional Conversations with Chase and Miranda. Obviously, I am Chase. And I'm Miranda. And we would like to welcome you back for another episode of one that we think is going to be another one that's kind of serious like last week. This week, it's going to, we are going to cover addiction. Whenever we say addiction, we are going to cover what, how we feel about it. Because other people have different opinions, and we're going to get into that. We're also going to cover our experiences with addiction, the way we overcame our experiences with addiction, and the way that it affected our life during active addiction. All of this will make much more sense here in just a little while. Let's go ahead and hit that music so we can get this thing rolling. We hope you guys have had an absolutely phenomenal week. We're getting ready for Christmas. It's been a hell of a year. Uh, the reason that we are dropping this episode a couple days late, for one, is because Miranda and I have both been sick. Miranda got sick at the end of last weekend, and then, of course, she gave it to everybody she's ever met. No, I'm just kidding, just me. <laughs> um, either way, I, the second reason that we are waiting until Friday to post is because we originally thought that Wednesday was going to be a doable day. We thought it made the most sense with our schedule and that sort of thing. And the the further we've got into this, the more we've realized that Wednesday is probably the worst day that we could actually upload. So what we're going to do is we're going to upload this on Friday the 17th. So it's going to be Friday the 17th when you're listening to it. And then we're going to upload every Friday after this. So every every Friday from this point forward, we will upload a new podcast opposed to uploading on Wednesday. This topic in particular is one that we wanted to get a few episodes in before we covered because this is one that's probably had a bigger impact on our life than anything else that we're going to talk about on, on a typical basis. Um, I firmly believe that once you are an addict, you are forever an addict. That doesn't mean that you are going to actively use. That doesn't mean that you have you always have a problem, but the fact that you are an addict is always going to be there. So for me personally, I am always going to be a recovering addict because I had an addiction to opiates. And if you want to say, um, I don't know what they call it other places. They call it spice some places. They call it K2 some places. We call it legal here, uh, a.k.a. legal weed. That's not really what it was, but it was the, that's, that's just what we called it here. Um, and so for me, speaking about addiction is a big deal. Just for the simple fact that I've lived through it. Hand in hand, one on one, you know. And so being able to speak on my history and my past and those sort of things, I genuinely hope that it's able to help someone that hears this. Miranda wasn't an addict, but she lived in addiction. So our stories are going to vary 100%. Because whenever she says that she lived with addiction... It's a completely different meaning than whenever I say I lived through addiction. I'm excited to get into it. We're excited to get into it. We've talked about it all week. It's going to be an exciting episode. And as always, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns, please feel free to drop those on all social handles at UC Podcast 101. At UC Podcast 101. Um... 
covered the subtopics pretty quick. We just went over them. The overall meaning, uh, personal experience, life during active addiction, overcoming addiction. And then we'll wrap it up with some, some more positive news headed into this holiday season. The overall meaning of addiction for me, right? And I'm going to let Miranda jump in in just a second. I know I've been doing all the talking so far. The overall meaning of addiction for me personally, right? Because this my biggest pet peeve in the entire world is hearing people say that addiction is a disease. Spoiler alert. No, it's not. I can argue about this. I will fight about this. I, I will go to I am blue in the face about this. The All the Roxy's and all the Lord tabs and all the Percocets that I put up my nose, I made a choice every single day to continue doing that. I made a choice every single day to fuel my addiction opposed to doing something about it. You know, so it ain't that to me, it's one of those things to where that I mean that and that will make me go from zero to a hundred immediately. Right? Is is someone telling me that they are sick because they have a disease and it's addiction. When you said you have a disease, I thought you meant heart failure or AIDS or something, you know, I didn't think anything about it. I didn't think a single word about addiction because you don't have no damn disease. You have a, a physical illness of not being able to say no to the drugs in your hand or the drugs that you wish was in your hand, which however you want to look at it. The problem is you can't say no the same way that I couldn't say no. Period. How I feel about it is the exact same way, though, which can be extremely controversial. Like, with the field that I've studied, it's just a really controversial thing that most people feel that addiction is a disease, in fact. When I think about a disease, I think about something that you're born with, so like Down syndrome or heart disease or like spina bifida or something like that. But I don't I think addiction is something that you develop over time. Yeah. Like there I mean of course there are children that are born ad- addicted to things due to their parents, but I mean yeah, but that's not the same. Yeah. Exactly. You know, so That's a completely different story. Right. So like I get it, right? For example, my mom drank um, several months out of the nine months that she was pregnant with me, right? And so I've always been told my entire life that I would have an addictive personality. Same. I was told that too. And anything that I've ever became addicted to, I I am the reason that I'm addicted to it, right? Like, I knew what the outcome of me smoking cigarettes would be, right? So I chose to do that anyway, and now I'm addicted to nicotine. I knew what the outcome of snorting oxycotton would be even though for a long time i thought well i can control it because i can only have to do x amount of day and i'll be fine right but then one day turned into 10 days that turned into 30 days and now instead of doing this 30 milligrams a day that i was doing before now i've done bumped it up to like 90 milligrams and i'm spending three times as much money i think people have different perspectives of it i think me and you have different perspectives of it because i know your perspective over what you felt like addiction was when we first got together and what you feel about addiction today is completely different. Absolutely. Because you've had to live with someone 
outside of your parents, which you'll get into later, that is you've been able to see it from a different light. You love your parents, you love your mom, you love your dad. But it's always something that I've been hard on them about. It's a different sort of love with me. Right. Right. So seeing me go through addiction and seeing your parents go through addiction are two completely different ballgames. And so your opinion has changed over the last six years because you know that just because somebody is is an addict or some just because somebody allowed themselves to become an addict doesn't mean that they're a piece of shit. Right. It doesn't mean that they deserve every bad thing that's came their way. See, that's my thing. That that used to be my opinion. I mean, I don't want to say that, oh, you're an addict, you're a piece of shit. That wasn't my opinion. But I just had a really negative outlook on addicts, I guess you could say, because... More along the lines of, how did you let yourself get here? Right. You put yourself in a situation to where you're sitting around with a bunch of your friends, and you've watched a couple friends of yours do something two or three times that you've never done before, and they offer each time, and each time you turn it down because you know that there's a possibility that on the other side of that... Something bad. Something bad, you know? Whether that's addiction, whether that's throwing up, whether that's whatever you deem is bad. There's something bad on the other side of that. I know with Xanaxis, some of the worst decisions I've ever made in my life has been on Xanaxis. I've wo- I woke up in jail one morning uh, after doing Xanaxis the night before. And to this day, right now, I don't know why I got, how I got there. I don't know what I did to get there. I know I got charged with obstruction of justice. I know it got dropped in court. But I don't know what happened after that, and I don't know how, and I don't know any of it. You were just there. I was just there. I woke up in jail, and and the, the, the nice lady that was sitting at the desk up front right there had to explain every bit of it to me. Had a $100 bond. Somebody had to come get me. No idea. And that was being fueled by addiction. That was wanting Roxy so bad that I was sick, physically sick. And the only thing I could find was Xanaxes, so I said, fuck it, I'll do some Xanaxes instead. And I went to jail. So addiction can be a million different things for a million different people. Some of the greatest people in the entire world that I would trust with my life were addicts. I'm going to bring him up because I feel safe bringing him up. I don't think he's going to be upset. Brian Jones is from the same small town that we're from. And that guy has one of the best stories that you'll ever hear as far as being successful. No, he's not a millionaire. No, he isn't buying up all the property in our small town. No, he isn't running around, changing people's lives, giving away money. But if you would have met the same Brian Jones that I met in 2014, you would understand why that's so incredible. His sister is another one of those people who used to be an addict, and she's done everything in her power to make sure that her life goes back on track, right? So that's why I don't think it's a disease. That's why I really, really struggle saying that someone was born with this illness that eventually just came to light. I do not agree with that. You made a choice to get here. No, that choice may not have been, huh, well, I want to get high today. Maybe you broke your leg. And maybe you went to the doctor and that doctor gave you 60 perk 10s or 60 perk 75s a month for the next four months. 
And after that four-month period, you run out of Percocets. But you realize, holy shit, this is the first time in 120 days that I haven't had any Percocets to do when I wake up. And guess what? That's you're, an issue. You're sick. And I don't just mean cough and a head cold sick. I mean you are physically ill. You have the poops. You have a headache. Your stomach hurts. Anything you do sucks. All because you broke your leg. All because you made the choice that I'm going to get this script filled two more times, even though my leg really ain't hurt that bad since about August. Well, here we are in November, you know. So, I, I just, I really struggle with that. What the fuck? Why did you do that? Action! I mean, okay, motherfucker, I was thinking. Um... Really, it's one of those things to where, like I said, I've had my own personal experiences with addiction. I used to average about 150 milligrams of uh, oxycodone or oxycodone a week or a day. Fuck. <laughs> I used to average about 150 milligrams of oxycodone a day, which can be very, very pricey. So not only is it taking an emotional toll on me, my mental health, my well-being, it's taking a toll on my family, my house, my bank account, my Pockets. life. I mean, there, it, it affects you in every possible general situation that you could ever imagine. There's nothing that you're going to do in a day-to-day basis that where addiction doesn't affect you some way or another. Because I promise you, you're not going anywhere or doing anything before you get high. And if the person that you're with doesn't know that you get high... You're going to find a way to sneak in a bathroom or sneak in a Walmart or sneak in a shell station or sneak in a whatever so you can get high and be able to enjoy being around the people that you're around because you couldn't do it before you left. I will say that I never shot anything up. That was never my thing. But I believe, I genuinely believe that, because see, the, the way that I got out of addiction was by going to jail. And having to be there for roughly a calendar year. And so obviously in that time I couldn't do anything. So I had no choice but to get clean. Which is exactly what I needed. I needed a way to where I had no choice but to get clean. And so. And I I genuinely believe that that's the only thing that saved me from not shooting up. Had I been on the street another six months to a year in addiction. I don't know what would have happened. I can't predict that. Obviously, I can't sit here and say that, yeah, I definitely would have shot up or, yeah, I definitely would have went through that or anything of that nature. But I can say that there were opportunities to where I could have, but I was just smart enough not to. See? You just weren't that far into addiction? I Well, see, at that point, the, the, the times that I was offered or the times that it was presented to me in a lot, because that's the thing. When someone is shooting up, right, and they see someone snorting or doing it what however they do it, right, they almost feel as if they have to tell you, hey, look, you're wasting it. Because the only way that you're really going to get high off of it is if you shoot it. You know what I mean? And so, and that's exactly how it was, it was presented to me. Both times that it was presented to me is that what I think I was doing a Roxy or something, and the person that was across the room was like, hey, man, you know you're just wasting it, right? That makes me think of Basketball Diaries. I've never seen that, so I don't know what that means. Well, 
he just started doing it one way, like snorting it, and then eventually someone was just like, hey man, this bay is just so much better, and then started shooting it. Basically the exact same thing that you just said. I mean, yeah, like I said, I've never seen that movie, so I can't just relate directly, but it wouldn't shock me at all if that's verbatim, right? Just for the simple fact that I would guarantee you 85% of people that are addicted to pills, if they're addicted long enough, eventually they shoot up. They may not like it, they may not do it forever, but they try it, right? That's crazy to think about. And that's usually all it takes, is someone trying it. Yeah. And so... And some of the people that I know that are recovering today and have been sober for four, five, six years wouldn't have done it any other way besides shooting it up. See, that's the thing. How I said a minute ago that I did a cal- almost a calendar year in jail, that was the only time in my life, the only time in my addiction, the only time ever that I can ever remember to where shooting up was like a thing that you praised right like what do you mean? these guys couldn't wait to get back out of jail and bang a gram of meth in their arm you know and like the way that they would tell these exuberant stories of all this action and all this fun and all this blah 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 it just makes you think like wow man i've been in fucking jail six months i ain't had fun in six months i bet that would be great you know and now the next thing you know, you're laying on your goddamn bunk and you're thinking, man, I might shoot up when I get out of here. Shut up. You know, and I, like, I wish I was kidding, right? I wish this was a joke. Anybody listening to this that's ever been in the same situation knows that how real that is. Going to jail, you will go to, and I've told you this a million times, right, in our relationship, over the, the conversations we've had. When I went to jail, personally, right, I had no clue about doing dope, cooking dope, selling dope, right? right. When I got out of jail, I could have wrote a goddamn book on it. <laughs> because dead. these people sit around 24 hours a day, and if they're not slapping down cards on the spade table, they are talking about dope and how they cook it or how they shoot it or how they do it. And I dude, and you and you learn literally based off someone else's stories. That is so crazy to me. And like and that is the furthest thing from a joke, but it is literal reality. Right? Like before I ever went to jail, I was one of those people that thought, well if I ever went to jail, whatever I was doing, I would like straighten up. Like I was you know what I mean? Cuz I wouldn't want to just go back to jail. You know? Well, obviously that wasn't the case since I went like fucking four times before I figured it out. The thing was, though, is that going in the first time of my life, never done this before ever, there was probably eight people in there I knew, and I was welcomed as if I was coming into a party. Does that make sense? Like, it was cool. Like, when you open the door to your friend's garage party, and everybody's like, Hey! You know, it's the same fucking thing. And so when I came back, if that was really loud, guys, I apologize. So when I came back the last time, I got the same reaction that I got the first time. Hey, are you packing? 
because that's all they care about anyway. And once they realize that they, that you don't have tobacco in your ass or drugs or whatever, you know, that you brought in with you. Uh, by the way, that's something I never understood. How the hell do you know you're going to jail? How the hell are you just walking around with a pack of drugs or tobacco or whatever you're doing? How do you just walk around with that in your butthole? Like, am I the only person that doesn't understand? Because I promise you, I've seen a bunch of people come in there with stuff. And I never understood how, unless they turn themselves in. If they turn themselves in, obviously I get it. 99% of the time, that's not the case. People ain't turning themselves in. The police have to go get these people. So, like, if they're going and running in the bathroom and jamming this thing up there when the police knock on the door, they are A1 because I never could figure it out. Ever. Never made sense to me how the hell these people was ready for this thing. But you see, like, you see so many things that you could have never imagined seeing. And you never would have seen them if you were sober because you never would have stood around long enough to watch it. You know? Somebody thinking sober would have left the room ten times before the guy that's standing there curious. Because, huh, how does that feel? You know? People experience such a wide variety of emotions and changes and I I mean it's tough to explain you know but like things that you would do during active addiction are things that you would never do while being sober you know like being in jail if you're if you're in jail sober if you're in jail for theft or literally anything other than something drug-related, something that you were addicted to, that sort of thing. If somebody walks into jail and they happen to be packing your drug of choice, if you're sober, you're going to keep doing what you're doing, trying to get over your time, trying to keep living your life. But if you're still in active addiction, and I'm not trying to be gross when I say this, but you're not going to be too far from the toilet when it when that guy drops that pack. Because otherwise you think you're not going to get in. You know, and that's what it's ultimately about. Like your mindset is just completely different. Yeah, there. I mean, your literal focus is being addicted and everything else after. Me and you are going to some family dinner at the park or family lunch at the park, whatever, and you're rushing the shit out of me. Come on, come on, come on, and I'm in the middle of active addiction. Well, there's no way I can do this without getting high first. So how can I get away from you long enough to get high and go do this thing at the park? Right. You know, there's nothing, there's no part of your day. I mean, even down to sex, like if you're in active addiction like that and you're sick, the last thing in the world that you're worried about is having sex, you know, or anything of that nature. It affects every proponent of your life. I don't know. I don't know that there's a lot else I can say in this portion of the podcast. I mean, my my experiences with addiction have been all over the place. I mean, I have had a great job and been an addict and had no problem being an addict. I have had a not so great job and been an addict and had all the problems in the world being an addict. Showed up with to more places than one with nothing but a habit. And I mean, it, it's the one thing I can I can tell you this. It's the one thing that I'm thankful for every single day that I don't have to live with any longer. 
And I would never mean anything more than that. Yes, it took me going to jail for an extended period of time to get clean, right? But once I got there, I would never want to go back. I would never want to put myself that far away from control again. And I think that's why I struggle with control at times. Because I've been in a situation to where I literally had none. A substance controlled every moment of my life, you know? And I think that has a lot to do with the the control issues that I have today because I just don't want to let anyone, anything, any nothing ever have that much control over my life at one time. That makes sense, though. And I think addiction does things like that to people. I think it makes you look at life in itself differently. I think it makes, because you make choices and you do things while you're in addiction that people never forgive, never forget, right? Especially in a small town like the one we live in. People never forget the really bad shit you did. No matter how much time passes, no matter how much life goes on, no matter how much good you do behind it, people never forget the bad shit you did. You know, and and if you, not being in that state of mind, you never would have did 85% of the shit that happened, you know? Yeah. My experience personally isn't within myself. Like I personally have never experienced addiction, but which makes it so weird that I'm so afraid of addiction, I guess you could say, because my parents were both addicts, you know, they fueled each other's addictions. They were their own worst enemies when it came to that. Yeah, just like oil and water, I guess you could say. So, I dealt with it secondhand, I guess you could say. But that's not to say that that didn't affect my life greatly, you know? So, just as far as that goes, my parents were more so addicted to things that dictated my life. So, like, let's see. I can remember that at their worst point, it was that they were fighting over who was going to get high. You know? Or who got more pills than the other. Right. And... It's supposed to be a 50-50 no matter what, your junkie brain is going to think that somebody got over on you somehow. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that gets more so into the, uh, more into the life during active addiction, though. Yeah. So, but my, ne- my negative outlook on drugs came from that, though. Having to live with my parents through their active addiction. Because I'm not, that's not saying that there weren't good times in my life, but there were definitely a lot of bad times, you know, as far as it goes with dealing with my parents' addiction. My parents were young. They had, I mean, yeah, they wanted me, but they had no idea what they were doing in the beginning, I feel like. I was planned, but they were young parents. I spent time with my grandparents. I mean, they still wanted to go out, have fun, and party. At that point, it was like whenever you lived, before you moved here, 
it was like they had the opportunity to let you go be with your grandparents, and while you were with your grandparents, they could you, they could do their thing, and then once they came back home, they had to be parents again. Right. But that break became reality. Right. That break became much more frequent, right. which is crazy because I'm pretty sure that we moved to Tennessee because of my parents' addiction in Ohio. So it's like, it's so crazy to think about that me as an adult, like, because we've talked about this before, us as adults remember and look at things so differently now that we, that we saw when we were children. Right. You know, like as a child, we were, it was just an innocent thing. But then when you, when we look at it back now as adults, we're like, huh. That's suspicious. Yeah, that makes well. Or, that huh, makes way that more That makes sense. sense. Now. Yeah. yeah, that makes much more sense now. So I mean, I'm pretty sure we moved to Tennessee to escape their addictions there. But I mean, addiction—you're not going to escape addiction. You can move town to town to town; it's always going to find you. I mean, that's how I feel. Yeah, no, I don't, I, I don't disagree at all. I or think you're always going to find it. You're always going to find it is the, is the thing because, I mean, even if you come here, you've been here three weeks, whatever, you get a job at the local factory, well, how long do you think you're going to have to be at the local factory before you find everybody's favorite pill addict? Right. You know, and then bam, just like that, now you at least have one source that's going to lead to 50 more. My life during active addiction... um. I would I would say it was tricky at best because in when I lived in Ohio with my parents, I don't really recall them doing drugs. I mean, maybe smoking some weed, you know. But I don't recall them doing like hard drugs at all when we lived in Ohio. Then all of a sudden we up and moved in the middle of the night to Tennessee with no notice. You know, woke up, time to, ten, time to go, let's go, start packing, we're moving to Tennessee. And then in Tennessee, it's almost like we were trying to have a new start. Yeah. And then, like, I can't, I, I can't even really pinpoint it, but it was like, everything was good, everything was fresh, it seemed, just like that new start that they wanted, but then we were right back at it. Well, see, so so is it safe to say that I mean they you they they ran from the problems, they ran from the problem to try to avoid it and did nothing but run into more. I don't think that they ran from it intentionally. I mean, I think that they truly did think that they were going to have a fresh new start here, but you can't repeat the same behaviors and expect a different result. Well, see, what I can tell you, what I can tell you on that. Is that most likely what it was, and I would, and I'm assuming, completely assuming, but I would assume that just like for me the second time, it was one of those things to where I was like, well, I can control it. Right. I can control if I only do this many pills per week, I won't get addicted. Right. And I can take a break on like Wednesday, Thursday, and then I can get fucked up Friday, Saturday, or something. You know what I mean, or something like that. And so, like I said earlier that once, twice, three times a week becomes 
seven days a week before you even realized what was going right. on. Right. Now you're in full-blown addiction again. And so how they moved here for that fresh start, things were fresh at first. They thought they had spent enough time away from it for things to be better. And so they started dipping their toes back in the water. And before they knew it, they were, they were neck deep in sand. Yeah. You know? And I, I, I would firmly believe that that had something to do with it. Like I said, I'm, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, I can't pinpoint that part, that specific point right. where shit just went south, you know? Right. No, yeah, I get you. But I can remember my parents, I don't, if there's such thing as a responsible addict, they were it. That, that, that was it, okay? So, mom had responsibilities of making sure I got up, got dressed, got fed breakfast, had everything I needed to go to school while my dad was while my dad was getting high in the morning. And then when I came home from school, my dad would be there ready to make dinner, ready to do laundry, things like that, alert and awake while my mom was high. So it's like they traded off. They traded off doing drugs so they could one of them at least be a parent. So for X amount of hours a day, you had one good parent at all times. Right. Like, I was never just left unattended or anything like that. They never, they always made sure that someone was at least being attentive to me. But, I mean, what what kind, what is that? Right. You no, know? Yeah, yeah. And then obviously that progressively got to where that wasn't the case. Right. I mean, eventually it became to where my mom saw that she, I mean, that nothing was going to get better. There was no light at the end of the tunnel there. So she up and left to go get sober. And I feel like that is when my dad's addiction took a turn for the worse. Right. Like... There there was no positives as far as that goes with my dad. It was just his life was over. Um, that's where his addiction really picked up. I feel like that's that was peak addiction. Um, well, no, I wouldn't say peak addiction. That's where it picked up, though. That's where it started to get very, very much out of hand. Um, but that's not to say that when my mom left that things just went peachy for her either, right. you know? But, I mean, during their active addiction years together with me, I mean, I can remember going to Ponderosa, I think, or going to some restaurant and being so embarrassed because my parents were high. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, I get it. Completely get it. Yes. Or I think we went to, I think we even went to La Fuente too. And everything was good. Everything was fine until shit wasn't. And we were having to leave because somebody was falling out in their food. You know? So, I mean, no, I haven't dealt with it firsthand as in me waking up, being sick, having to deal with that constant battle within myself. But it very much affected me being a kid and having to deal with that as well. Like, growing up, 15 years old, having to figure shit out. Right, yeah. 
that's something. See, I, I relate to a lot of that because how I said that my mom drank through several of the months that she was pregnant with me. My dad was a drunk for basically my entire life. And as I've said in other podcasts, that my, I mean, my dad was my favorite person in the world. He, that guy was absolutely my hero when I was young. I wanted to be everything that he was. Obviously, growing up as an adult, I learned more about him. I learned more about his behaviors and the why, the, the reason he was the way he was. Um, and after his death, I feel like I learned much more about him than I ever knew while he was alive. And so it's one of those things to where, like I could, like you said, I can remember going places with my dad and my, and my dad being so drunk that it was just apparent. Because whenever my dad would get drunk, he was a big, bald-headed guy. His head would turn red and would get real fucking shiny. And it was like he was just glistening almost. But he was shit-faced. You know? And so, like, I can absolutely just remember times to where I was like, man, this is horrible. No way. Get me out of here. Like, this is horrible, man. And so it's one of those things to where, I, I, like I said, I, I completely comprehend. I completely understand because... Addiction really does affect people in different ways. How Miranda said that her parents took turns, you know, during the morning and the afternoon being high. So somebody was taking care of the kid. I I mean, I, that makes sense to me being a, a former addict or whatever, you know, like I get it. Somebody would have to be responsible. I can remember during one of the worst points of my life, I lived in a camper behind my uncle and my cousin. And my mom had just had open heart surgery. And I was actually on the run from the police because I had uh, warrants out for my arrest here. And I was working at Pizza Hut. And I stayed within about a mile of that radius. But I was scared to death all the time. I wouldn't go in the store. I wouldn't go. If it wasn't Pizza Hut or that camper, you wasn't going to find me near there. Maybe Quick Mart. No. Nowhere. I wasn't going anywhere. Do you remember whenever we first got together, I sent you out to get me shells, cigarettes, and whatever I needed from Walmart? Yeah. Because I wasn't going in any source. That's how me and Miranda were introduced to each other on a real level. She had come over and hung out with me one time. I was running from the police. She was scared that the police were going to kick the door in while she was there. She woke up the next morning, decided to come back a couple of days later. And since she was coming back, I needed somebody to go to the store. Because like I just said, I refused to do so. <laughs> So I wrote her a list, which I think she still has. I wrote, her a, <laughs> I wrote her a list, and I sent her to the store with a list of everything I needed and some money. Because I trying to explain to someone who's never been in trouble that you're very much in trouble. You're just still living your life. Oh, that's yeah. That's just such a weird concept. That's such a weird thing, man. <laughs> People that have never been in trouble aren't just used to that sort of thing. What do you mean you're running from the police? Like, they can knock on my door and I can go to jail at literally any moment. It's raining outside today, so we we didn't have to worry about that, you know? (laughs) So, I mean, my thing about it is, is like, moments like that. You know, moments like that are the epitome of what I think about whenever I think about addiction. Because I can think of so many different times during the eight months that I ran from the police, right? Of sitting in that camper... And being sick because I couldn't get pills. And thinking to myself, man, I would be better off if I just went ahead and went to jail. Right? Because then I wouldn't have to worry about this shit. Eventually it would just go away and then I would be normal. You know? And I can remember laying on that little couch thinking that in my head. 
man, I, I might as well just turn myself in. This ain't worth it. Because I'm you know? miserable. I'm absolutely miserable. Smoking all the weed in the world ain't going gonna, ain't gonna to make this go away, mm. you know? And so, I mean, things like that were such eye-opening things, you know? And, like, even throughout our relationship, I've told you a million times that there's just some things that I'm grateful for. You know, like, I can remember working for Sundrop and standing outside and being able to see the lights come on in the jail each morning. Yeah. And to me... Even though I was at work, right, being able to visually watch that, I would go grab a glass bottle sundrop and walk outside and watch that happen every morning that I had time. Just because I could. Yeah. You know? And so, like, the small things. Or taking a uh, a shower with, with your shoe, without your shoes on, you know? Yeah. Had I never been an addict, I would never understand why that's the case. Yeah, why that's so important. You know, because when you go to jail, you can't take a shower without your shoes on. You can, but you're liable to catch athlete's feet or herpes of the foot or something like that, you know. And so, like, it makes you, everything has a silver lining for the most part, you know. So being that I'm on the outside looking in, and anybody that I can think of right now off the top of my head that's ever been an addict, they can sit here and tell you these same stories, right? They can go on and on and on and on and on about things that they've done while they got high. And I promise you, 95% of the time, they're going to finish that story with, man, thank God for change. Or thank God I'm not doing that anymore. Right. I can remember Brian Jones, the guy I was talking about earlier. I can remember him telling me a story one time about him going to the dope man's house, right? And he cried on the way there because he didn't want to go. He did not want to go get that bag of dope that he was going to get. He wanted more than anything in the world to just be sober, right? But his body would not allow him to do it. No matter how much he mentally fought, no, I'm not going to go do this, right? I'm not going to this man's house. I'm not going to go get this bag. I'm not going to do these things. His foot never hit the brake. Yeah. Right? He stayed driving the same path the whole time. And so when he got there and he did what he did and he did it and he felt terrible about it, well, at least he was high, you know? At least I feel a little bit better. And you so know? you don't know how many addicts in this world that you that you look at, see, touch, hear, talk to, whatever, on a day-to-day basis that don't want to be an addict anymore. They just don't know what to do to help. They don't know what they can do to fix it. They don't know what they can do to not be an addict anymore because they don't have 21 days to be addicted. They don't have 14 days to be addicted or to not be addicted. Yeah. You understand? Because these people still get up and they go to work and they still live their life and they're still normal fucking people. They're just addicts. Unfortunately, they let themselves get to a point to where a substance controls their whole life. Controls how they feel, right? Yeah. Yes, their whole life, but I mean, controls how they feel. So without that substance, that, that substance could cost them their job, could cost them their wife, could cost them their cars, could cost them their marriage, could cost them any whatever you want to put in that blank, that substance could cost them that, right? So that you learn quickly, man, I don't want to do this anymore. I, I don't I don't want to be an addict anymore. Something's got to change. But then you realize, well, for something to change... Man, I'm going to have to be sick for like days. And I don't care if it's four days, eight days, 14 days, 
it feels like a full school year. <laughs> I mean, it is terrible, man, because just the way your body reacts to things, turning on the light, having to hear the TV, you you want to get up so bad and just go walk around the house so maybe you'll feel better, but you just cannot convince yourself to do it, you know? And it's things like that that I appreciate. I can get out of bed. I can go to the bathroom. I can go take a shower. I can go play the game. I can go stand at the door. And I don't need anything or any help to go do that. Yeah. You know? There's I mean, nothing that has to happen first. Like, that's the only kind of reason that I have any kind of positive outlook on the fact that my mom wanted to go get clean, you know? But I definitely feel like it could have been done a completely different way, of course. But that's neither here nor there right now. That's a story for another day, maybe. But that... I mean, keep tuning in. (laughs) But that, I mean... Because of addiction, I had to grow up far faster than I should have. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, when my mom left, the electricity was cut off at my dad's house, you know? He was living in the trailer with no electricity. Then finally, he had to go live with a friend. And that left me trying to figure it out living with a boyfriend at the time, being 15 years old, I mean, what did that leave me to do? What what kind of skills or anything did that lead me to believe when my parents set me up for, hey, this is addiction, this is what we have done. And, like, I can remember my parents telling me that it's... In my genetics. Yeah. I guess... That you were cursed. Yeah. That it was in my genetics to be an addict. And... Or I'm predestined for addiction. I guess that's what it is. But I have never taken anything more serious in my entire life than that. Like, that's why I say that I have never experienced addiction but I fear addiction so much because you know firsthand that, I mean, I didn't really drink or nothing like that when I was in high school. I didn't do anything like that. So even when I got my tonsils taken out, my grandma had my Laura tabs so that I wouldn't take too many or anything like that because my mom was so worried about something just crazy happening. Or if I got my wisdom teeth taken out, make sure that I'm taking my medicine appropriately because she was just, both of them were just so scared that I'm going to become addicted to something. Well, see, I went to, I played football with a guy and I remember this. That's why I brought it up earlier. He tore his ACL going into his junior year. Almost, it was going into like that right, that end of summer, right before shit got serious portion of football. Right. You know? And so it was, like I said, he tore his ACL, his MCL, and whatever that other ligament in there is. And I know for sure they gave that dude 60 Laura tabs a month. Because I think he was able to take like two a day or something. One at breakfast, one at dinner, or some shit like that. And whenever he got done, 
because it's like a nine-month process, right, for your ACL. And he got his script filled every single month like clockwork. And by the time he got done with that rehabilitation and it was time to come back and play as a senior in high school, he had to go to therapy or like treatment, not therapy, but like treatment because he now had a pill problem that stemmed from him getting surgery on his knee. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. He didn't choose to to tear his knee up, right? But like I said earlier, when you were six months into this thing and you still kept going to get that script, you knew that it was a little bit more than this whole knee thing here, yeah. man. That's something that don't hurt that bad, you know. But some, but every other day or so, you might get in your head, well, man, I might, you know, I might need a third one today or I might need a fourth one today. And that's all it stems from. And by the time he got done with his fucking rehabilitation on his knee, he had to go to a real treatment center to get treated for a pill addiction that he got from surgery. That's why your parents are, they're justified in that fear. I think in my personal opinion, I think they're justified in that fear because for someone that they believe so strongly is predetermined to addiction, that 30 consecutive days of taking those lure tabs or whatever it is could be all it takes. Right. right? And as much as that's not the truth, as much as I don't ever feel like you would have that issue if you were put in a predicament to where you had to take those pills every single day, now it's not in your hands anymore. Right. Right. Now it's out of my control. Right. To a point, but yes. Yeah. You know. Like now it's become a habit. Right. And that's what and it, and that's a fine line. Yeah. You know, that's a fine line when it when it goes from, hey, I need this to hey, this is this is a habit. Hey, this is something that I'm doing. More or less because I want to, not because I have to, you know, and that's a big deal. That's that's where I would assume, right? Because I'm not a, I haven't done just hours upon hours of research on active addiction because I've lived it. I have my own opinion and I live off that, you know. Yeah. But I would bet that there's a lot of people that end up in a situation to where it goes from a habit or where it goes from a, a necessity to a habit, right? And so they continue to make the choice to not do anything about it. But there's definitely situations to where it goes from this was a necessity, I needed this for some reason, now I have to have it. Right. Now I'm an addict, right? And so that's that's what's super unfortunate. And I'm not going to take the time to get into the whole big pharma thing. I have 150 different opinions on the whole on the entire thing in itself, but I firmly stand by the fact that people believe that I firmly stand by the fact that when people say that they have a disease, they use that as a crutch, as an excuse to continue being an an, an addict because continuing to be an be an addict, continuing to tell people that you have a disease is much, much easier than actually getting clean. Because you can tell a room full of people that you have a disease, it's not your fault, I can't help it, and then hopefully they're not going to feel as bad for you anymore. That's what they're aiming for anyway. They're aiming for you not to feel as bad for them anymore because they can't help it. They can. There's treatment centers all over the country. There are thousands upon thousands upon 
thousands of resources for addicts. In every state across the entire U.S., no matter how big or tall, no matter how old, no matter how young, no matter what the issue or what the reason, there is a treatment center that is more than willing to take you in, listen to your problems, and help you get through them. But you will never have the opportunity to know that if you do not reach out to someone and ask for help. Or take that first step. You have to take that first step. You have to understand that the life you are living is has became a problem. The things that you're doing, the behaviors, the attitude, the, the mood swings, all of that, the addiction itself is affecting your home life, I can promise you. Whether it, it don't have to be your wife or your husband. It doesn't have to be your boyfriend, your girlfriend, or your fiancé. It could be your mom, your dad, your sister, your, your aunts, your kids, whoever. Whoever has to deal with you on a day-to-day basis, if you are in active addiction, you are. there is a problem lying there somewhere. I've never seen a mother turn around and say, Hey, boy, I am so proud of you for being an addict. You keep snorting them pills, baby. I've never seen it. I've never heard of it. And if that's the case, you need to get away from your mother. Straight up. Because there is a light at the end of this tunnel. You have to find it. You have to figure out what it is, that what your purpose is for finding it. But there is always, always, always a light at the end of the tunnel. I will say that the one thing that was probably the most satisfying point of addiction was overcoming it. And by overcoming it, I mean it was a situation to where I had to cut off everybody that that was around me to the point to where if we weren't friends before I did pills, we could no longer be friends today. For the simple fact that every negative deterrent that I had in my life had to go. Right, everything from the people that I hung out with on a day-to-day basis to the things that I did, to the places that I would go, to whatever it is that it may be, those things had to change. And at first it was really, really hard because it felt super alone. It felt super... um, Isolating. Isolating. That's a great word, isolating. And so it was one of those things to where I, I wondered a million times, like, man, is this really the better choice? Like... Fuck, life was so much funner whenever I was an addict. But looking back at that now, it's hard to believe that I was ever that foolish. You know? Yeah. It's hard to ima- it's hard to imagine my life without having that part of it in it. Because that that part of my life taught me so many invaluable lessons that I would never be able to learn any other way. You know? Yeah. And so I guess without I guess for that I'm grateful. Because I'm grateful for the things that it still allows me to be grateful for. Like I mentioned, just the sight of being able to see the jail lights flip on from the outside. Right? Being able to, to, to go in there and take a shower without my shoes on. Wh- whatever the situation may be. Smoking a cigarette, driving down the road, and I don't have to sneak it. I could just smoke yeah. it. You know what I mean? Those kind of things that people wouldn't give a shit about on a day-to-day basis are things that someone like me, on the right day, still appreciates more than... Something as simple as being able to sit down and eat, you know, because even whenever I was in jail, I could still sit down and eat. I could still sit down and have a meal. But those freedom things are the things that I couldn't have. So between being an addict, going to jail, being in and out of jail, 
a lot of the issue for me was that it was just so overwhelming that I didn't know how to sort of get that in gear. I didn't know how to tighten up and not do one or the other. Well, fuck, if I'm not an addict, because I know I got sober a couple times and I still ended up going back to jail for violation, right? So it was like, well, if I'm sober now, then I won't go back to jail. But that wasn't the case. Yeah. So then it become, well, if I'm going back to jail anyway, fuck it. I'll just not be sober while I'm going back to jail, you know? And so it was just this constant internal battle of, and a plus, and, and I can't leave this out, man. When you're an addict like that, you're ashamed. Does that make sense? Yeah. The same way I said earlier that if me and you were going to a, a family picnic at the park and I had to sneak off and get high somewhere, right? Obviously, I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud of the fact that I had to lie to you just to go sneak off to the bathroom and snort a Roxy or whatever the case was to where I had to do that. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things to where it's one of the most shameful situations that you can put yourself in because you're constantly checking yourself. You're constantly checking your nose. You're constantly picking at yourself. You're constantly trying to make sure that everything is exactly the way it's supposed to be so that every person around you feels like you're sober. You know? Yeah. And that and I think that in itself is one of the biggest issues for anyone that's going through addiction or is overcoming addiction is the shame that you feel being an addict. And it's because of the stigma around addiction. It's because of the stigma that people have put on addiction over all these years, right? And I'm not trying to glorify it in any way, shape, form, or fashion. This is my first time ever bringing a lot of this stuff to public light. I've never told a lot of these stories to people. I've never sat down and had this conversation with a lot of people. So you guys hearing this on the podcast is the first time that a lot of people are hearing this for the very first time ever. You know, life's never been easy. Life's never just been given in any way, shape, or form. And I've always had to learn things the hard way. So being able to overcome addiction will always always be one of my biggest accomplishments it will always be one of the things that I am the most proud of because I did it by myself. There's not a single person in the entire world that can take credit for me overcoming addiction other than me. Because without, if I hadn't have went to jail, if I hadn't have been in the circumstances that I was in, I don't know if I ever would have got clean. I may have died. I may have ended up going for a longer sentence. I may have ended up doing something horrible. Whatever the situation may be, there was no end in sight. So being able to go to jail and understand that I wasn't meant for this, this isn't what I was put here to do, and being able to understand that I can create a better life for myself, I just have to create it, that will always be one of my biggest accomplishments. Like I said earlier, guys, anything that you're going through, any issue, any trauma, any trouble, with the right conversation, the right type of help, And being able to admit the issue, I promise you there's a light at the end of that tunnel. Me being able to overcome my parents' addiction was a big deal for me just because my parents were so worried about how other people would look at me based upon their decisions. You know what I mean? Like, based upon what they did, they went and did X, Y, and Z, so they were worried about how people would negatively look at their daughter And so it was just like, it fueled me to just want to prove everyone wrong, basically. Right. To prove that I'm not my parents, I'm not their decisions, I'm not any mistake that they would have made, 
or anything like that. But I mean, that's why I went to school to do what I do. Or that's why I went to school to be in the field and learn the things that I've learned because it's something that I'm so passionate about. You know, that, like we said, that my view over time has changed because even with the beginning of my job, that I just felt that it was inexcusable would be a good word. Like, how could you allow yourself to get there? But I had a negative outlook on it because I was in that bubble of addiction. I was in that bubble of addiction and all I could see was the bad stuff when now, I mean, I see there's addicts or former addicts, recovering addicts that are great people, you know, that they made their mistakes, they did what they did and they're recovering from that, but they came came out stronger because of their past, you know? You're much more willing to look. You're much more willing to view the person as a person opposed to viewing the person as their mistake. Right. And that's something that I've really had to come to grips with because I just, if you did drugs, you were bad. That's how I looked at it. If you did drugs, you were a bad person. You suck. And that's not how I feel anymore. You know, like... I mean, I feel like you've really helped me through that and helped open my eyes to that, that just because you're an, addi- you're an addict or a recovering addict doesn't mean that you're defined by your addiction or doesn't mean you're defined by your mistakes. But, I mean, my parents' mistakes and my parents' addictions fueled me to be and go and pursue and do the things that I do now. So, and I, I just want to ask this because I, I don't know that I ever have. Have there ever been times, because obviously with Miranda's job, I'm not allowed to know about the people that she deals with or anything about their life. So has there ever been times to where you were in a situation with a client or whatever and you judged that person at first and then looking back on the circumstance, you you thought about it in the aspect of, well, they haven't done anything worse than the person that I'm marrying has done. Not necessarily. I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't. I haven't compared a client and their obstacles to you or anything like that. But you more so have opened my eyes that just because someone has an addiction doesn't mean that they always have ill intent or doesn't mean that they are just bad people all the way around. Sometimes when people tell you that they're that they're really trying to get clean, that's really the truth. Yeah. They're really trying to get clean and they just haven't figured it out yet. And they may just need a little bit of a push in the right direction to get them exactly where they needed to be. Like it's like I'm more willing to give chances, I guess you could say. Like that Yes, they made those mistakes, but like I said, it doesn't define who they are for the rest of their lives if they don't let it. Absolutely. You know, so, I mean, I just feel like I've come a long way with that because my opinion of it has just changed so drastically. But overcoming addiction has been me going to school to do this. Um, 
to learn more about addiction and has gotten me interested in doing or pursuing a career around addiction. So if anything, it fueled me to be better, to be better than what my parents were, to prove everyone wrong that I'm not my parents or their mistakes or anything like that. Right. Yeah, absolutely. See, I can't, I can't, I tried to think about this as we were, as we were recording this podcast and there were times in my life to where I was compared to my dad or whatever, but it was never in the sense of him being a drunk or him being an alcoholic, whatever. More so it was in you... the sense of he always fucking got in trouble for something stupid and I just followed right along in those footsteps. Right, or you that know? like you favor your dad or that you're hot-headed like your dad. Yeah, like my <laughs> like our my mistakes have been compared to his mistakes in life, but it was almost like it was never, I could never blame my parents on me being an addict, right? Because, like, my mom and dad never did pills. They never did heroin. They never did crack. They never smoked well. My mom actually was a crackhead for a few years, but that was long before I was born, so that genetics can't really play a factor there. And so, I can't blame my parents for the things that I went through in life. But I can bl- I can say that my parents and their mistakes were part of what fueled me to be better. Right. Right. Because like people still look at Renee as the sloppy drunk piece of shit who ruined everything she ever went to. And my biggest fear was being the sloppy junkie that ruined everything that he ever went yeah. to. Yeah. Or the sloppy junkie's kid. None right. still. You know. You and know? so. With that in itself right there, that was a lot of fuel for overcoming addiction for me. And it was, I mean, it was completely self-aware, right? Like me overcoming addiction was 100% for myself, for me. But there was so much that just went into that, you know? Yeah. That went into why I no longer wanted to be an addict, why I wanted to be better, why I had to be better, you know? Because I wasted the last four years of my life chasing pills and doing nothing with it, working dead end jobs, saving no money, spending it all, being a junkie, you know, that I don't even have life experiences that I can tell you about during that time frame. Yeah. Like I can remember a a point. I can remember living in the trap house back into like 2013, 2014 and everybody there was getting ready to go to like Huntsville or Nashville or something like like that for the night. Yeah. And I literally could not afford to go. And I had just got paid the day before. Yeah. And I couldn't afford to go blow money in a different city because it was going to take away from my pill money to last it from this check to the next check. Yeah. You know? And so things like that were such fuel to overcome this thing, man. Such fuel. Not only have... I overcame my parents' addiction, but I mean, they've been recovering addicts as well. You know, this is not to just say that they are out here drugging. Right. You know? Right. But that people change. People can change. People can get better. People can make those steps. It doesn't matter how long you've been in addiction. Make that step. 
I will say, I mean, openly, and I, I'm sure it's not an issue, the change that I've seen in your dad over the last few years... Has been insurmountable. Has been absolutely fucking remarkable, dude. Absolutely. Like, it's one of those things that when you see it, it genuinely makes you happy because you know or you can only imagine what that per- what that person went through or suffered through before they made the decision that things had to change. Because you knew Jail Junkie Dad. Right. Right. You know? Right. You knew Jail Junkie Dad and you've gotten to see him turn his life around, change change and come out on top. And things haven't always been good with me and your dad, not in the aspect of I disrespected him or he disrespected me or there was this issue with you or anything like that. My biggest issue with your dad was want, was knowing that he could do anything in the world that he set his mind to and he chose everything in the world but that, including you. Right. Right? And don't get me wrong, what that man did with his life was completely his business, none of mine. But choosing addiction over his kid was my biggest issue. Right? That was something that we really had a deal with. Because then that was just me as an adult still having to deal with my parents' addictions. Correct. Absolutely. And that was one of the only times in my life that I've ever thought, man, this is fucking ridiculous. How can you be here? Right? Because at this point, I'm an adult and I can be in control. But let me follow that up in saying that everything I ever thought bad, he's fixed. Yeah. Not for me. Not for Miranda. For himself. Right? And whatever he was able to do good for the people in his life after that was just a bonus. But he got sober for himself. And I've never been more proud of the guy than I am or have been over the last few years or so. And I've told him every chance that he's given me, I've told him that I'm proud of him. I'm telling him now that I'm proud of him still, you know. One thing about being an addict, a former addict, a current addict, some days are better than others. Some days... You can wake up, you can go through your day, never have the first thought, never crave the first pill, never have the first problem. Some days you wake up and from the moment your feet hit the floor until the moment you close your eyes that night, it's nothing but trouble. Your day's horrible, everything that could go wrong has, will, is going to. And when you're in that position, it's like you develop this self-mechanism to where when shit goes south... I'm getting high, you know, and that's one of those things that is almost unbeatable. No matter how long you're a recovering addict, that thought, that fear, that fight is always, always, always going to be there. Eventually, you just get stronger than that fight. Eventually, you figure out a way to, man, it's not worth it. This one bad day isn't worth all the work that I put in over the last X amount of years, whatever it is. You know, and even when people do relapse or people do fall short, let's say, you know, that it's okay. I relapsed. I fell off the wagon. Let's get back up and go at it again. You know, you can fall off the wagon and get up and make that choice to be better or you're consciously making that choice to sit your ass in the dirt. Yeah, and I firmly believe that. I completely agree 100%. If you relapse, and that's a thing, 
and that happened. Relapsing is an ex- is is not that is not an excuse it's to go the- on a six day bender and say fuck the world. I'm getting high, and this is what it is. Don't make an excuse. Make an acknowledgement. Exactly. Right. Acknowledge that you fucked up. Acknowledge that you fell off the wagon, and put your very best foot forward, and not letting it happen again. Nobody's perfect. Rome wasn't built in a day, and I promise you, an addict won't get better overnight. It's going to take days. It's going to take months. It's going to take years, and it is going to take work. But it's doable. It's simply doable. All right, guys. We hope you have enjoyed episode four of Unconventional Conversations with Chase and Miranda. This has been our episode to cover addiction, what we've went through, what we've seen, and most importantly, what we've overcame. The most important message about today's podcast is if you or a loved one is going through something and you know they need help, if they have an addiction and they struggle with it, they can't beat it, they can't do the things that they need to do. Nobody wants to see their loved ones go to jail. Nobody wants to see their loved ones suffer. Reach out to someone and get help. Feel free to drop us a comment, send us a message, any of our uh, social media platforms, at UC Podcast 101. And no matter where you are or where you live, we will do everything in our power to try to get you some sort of help, some sort of conversation, so that way you know that things can get better. These things don't get better if you stay quiet about them. You absolutely have to reach out and have to ask for help. Like I said, guys, we hope you enjoyed it. We hope you have an absolutely phenomenal week. We hope you kick ass. We hope you do great. We hope you become everything you want to become. Like I said, this is episode four. This is our version of addiction. This has been Unconventional Conversations with Chase and Miranda. Obviously, I'm Chase. And I'm Miranda. We hope you have an absolutely incredible week. Make damn sure you don't go out and have a good week. Make damn sure you go out and have a great week. See you next week, guys.